0: It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today
1: on the Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking to a former Syracuse football great about the Orange's win over Ohio. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and we are thrilled to be joined by former Syracuse offensive lineman, Zach Shabane. Zach, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks very much for having me, Wes zach of course and i want to get you started on this one i think you've had a really interesting post syracuse football career but for those who don't know catch us up on what you've been up to since then
2: sure so i'm now i'm a practicing attorney in new york um it was sort of my plan all along to go to law school once football kind of panned out and played its course um and I was fortunate to play for a very short period after I graduated after my senior season with Doug Marone and the Buffalo Bills. I was in camp with them and I was the last undrafted rookie on the offensive line who was still around. And I was cut in the final cut, which I think was August 31st or the first day of September in 2013. And, it was a great experience to have been in camp there and to kind of see all my college coaches and some of my college teammates at the next level. Um, and I had a few workouts during the season as the NFL season progressed. Um, but it was right around that time where I had started to shift some of my focus to my backup plan, which was going to law school. And I kind of had been cultivating and preparing for that plan. Um, since I was a sophomore at Syracuse. So um, as the weeks wore on and I had uh, two or three workouts, um, but, you know, it's tough when you don't have film, regular season film to catch on with another squad. So as the middle of that season, that 2013 to 14 season played out, I kind of, you know, came to the realization that law school was really going to be the path that was most realistic for me to have a lasting and and fulfilling career um and so i took the lsat the admissions as you know you're you're an attorney yourself um i took the lsat right in towards the end of that season i think it was december um and at the time i was still kind of working out you know just preparing if i if i got a call but uh, sort of just shifting my focus and by the end of that season i was pretty much set on uh i going to law school the following year and thankfully everything everything worked out well um i ended up uh traveling a bit and kind of just refocusing and regrouping uh, my efforts uh, from you know athletics to academic pursuits and uh, that following year i matriculated at brooklyn law school um, where i did my first year and you know, it was intense and competitive. I mean, all the things that people say law school is. And uh, I was really fortunate to have a great group of professors and of students that I studied with and ended up doing very well that first year and and was fortunate to have an opportunity to transfer to Harvard Law School, where I did my second and third years. Um, And since then, I mean, once you're at a top school, the jobs are, you know, the the firms are really just knocking at at the door to try to get as many students from a, a graduating class as possible. So, after I graduated, I took and passed the New York Bar, um, and uh, I was admitted shortly thereafter, and I'm practicing commercial litigation at a large firm called Scadden um, in New York. And most of what we do is just civil defense side litigation, mostly commercial disputes and class actions filed by shareholders um, against public companies so I've been doing that, and I had a clerkship in between in the southern district of New York. I clerked for a year for a judge there, and that was an amazing amazing experience um, and now I'm back at the firm, and i've been so i guess I've been practicing law now for. Just over four years, which is pretty remarkable because it feels like yesterday that I was playing in the second pinstripe bowl uh, against West Virginia.
1: Well, first of all, congratulations on all your success. Harvard Law School, Scadden Arps, a clerkship in between. That's an outstanding start to your legal career. And I'm glad you end up finishing off your answer talking about the second pinstripe bowl because you were a three-year starter on the offensive line. I associate you and the rest of your recruiting class with a big turnaround at Syracuse under Doug Marone. You won two different pinstripe bowls, a first bowl win since 2001, and you blocked for three different and consecutive 1,000-yard rushers in Delone Carter, Antoine Bailey, and Jerome Smith. Do you have a particular favorite memory from your playing days at Syracuse?
2: Um, it's, tough. it's tough to pick one. Uh, there were two eight-win seasons there, two bowl victories. We were, we were ranked nationally for a little while. So I mean it was a tremendous run. But if if I had to pick one moment, I'd probably say like the third or fourth game. Um we didn't get off to a particularly fast start in the uh twenty twelve season. Um but we started to rack up the wins and Justin Pugh was out with with an injury early in the season. So uh Sean Hickey, who played for several years in the NFL, was the left tackle and after a few games when Justin was ready to come back, Sean Hickey moved to right tackle, and and Justin, my buddy, my roommate for four years, and my best friend, was back playing next to me. And, you know, while I definitely enjoyed having Sean Hickey uh, to my left, who's who's an incredible talent, having Justin back and having Sean, you know, kick back to his natural position really allowed us to get going. And that's when we really started to kind of run up the score on, on defenses and pound the football. Um, I think we were the best rushing offense in, uh, in the big East that final year. And I think the turning point of that season was really starting to allow our offense to, to run free. I mean, quite literally, we, we were rushing for 200 plus yards, many games. and Ryan Nassib was also, um, you know, racking up the stat, stat line through the air, which was, which was great to see. And, I think midway through that season, we kind of realized, "Hey, we we have something special here. This offense is, is special." We were we were putting up forty plus points against nationally ranked teams like Louisville and um, West Virginia in the bowl game, and, and UConn, which which had a good squad that year. And um, it was unique for me because I had been around some good good offenses, some you know productive and efficient running offenses, but to look up at the scoreboard at the end of some of the games and see you know, forty, forty five plus points, um, was really amazing because that was that was exactly the goal when Nate Hackett and Doug Marone um put together this mill huddle offense that, you know, was trying to run the ball first but also open up passing lanes and it, it just worked beautifully.
1: Zach, I know you're in big law and with it comes big law hours, but I also know you still keep up with the team. Were you able to catch the Ohio game? And if so, what did you think about the team's performance?
2: I did. I did. Yeah. So I I have to confess I haven't been as active um, in my fandom the last few years, but I did watch uh, the Ohio game. I saw most of it at least. And I mean, it was was really exciting to see that rushing attack. Um, I think a lot of alumni – Kind of pine for the years when Syracuse was lining up and running the ball sixty times per game, and you know back when offenses in in college football were a lot simpler and you know less complex with all the uh, options that you see nowadays and the spread uh, offenses. But it was it was great to kind of see some of that old school football. Um, And I know Dino Babers and the offensive staff are doing a lot of things that are you know complex. They're not just lining up in a two running back set and and pounding the football, I know that there's a lot of optionality. There's some run-pass options that they were doing, and I mean, mainly as an offensive lineman, I, a, a lot of the complexity of the offense is lost on me, and I'm just I'm just watching the big guys up front, um, and they were getting after it. I mean, you, I, I've been away from the game for a little while, but I, I know kind of the core fundamentals I think that make an offensive line. Uh, play well. And one of those things is just seeing helmets moving vertically off of the ball, you know, as soon as the ball is snapped, just seeing guys get off the ball, which just means, you know, stepping forward as quickly and as aggressively as possible. And I was seeing that um, in the opener and, and I think it was reflected in stat line. I mean, the running back had a Tucker, I think had 180 plus yards, which I think was the best, performance since the second pin strike bowl um when prince tyson gully had 200 plus so i mean it was it was just great to see su get back to that effective rushing attack and i think any quarterback would tell you that when you have an effective rushing game and you have an offensive line that's kind of pushing people around it opens up a whole lot in, in the passing game and in, with options and screens and all types of things and I think you saw a little bit of that, and I'm sure you know, they're looking to improve and they're excited about getting after a, you know, a better, um, more established defensive team in Rutgers.
1: You talked about the offensive line a bit against Ohio, but I wanted to dive into it a little bit more. What's your take on the struggles of the offensive line from last year, and do you think the performance against Ohio will carry through into the rest of the season? Well, it's, it's always
2: tough. It's always tough to say based on one game, of course, and especially an out-of-conference opponent. But when you see physicality like that, and when you see guys who you know have been training and through really difficult circumstances and a global pandemic, who can line up in the first game and and be physical and have the right mentality and the communication um, necessary to execute at that level. I think I think it's a great sign of things to come. And, I mean, Rutgers, I think, will either confirm that or maybe suggest that there's a little more to it and, and they still have some more work to do. But guys are improving. And, you know, when you're around for three or four years and you're granted another year of eligibility because of these extraordinary circumstances, I think you see that guys start to learn, you know, where their weaknesses are. If it's not a physical weakness but a mental one, getting in the playbook and learning how to communicate and gel better with your teammates. Um as far as last year goes, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure exactly if there was one or two weaknesses on the offensive line, but I know there were some younger players who were forced to step in. There were some injuries and uh breakdowns in communication, you know, struggles with, with the pass game. And once you get behind in some games, it's it's really tough to just line it up uh you know with no back or or just wide receiver spread all the way out and the other team knows exactly the plays that you're running and they can just pin their ears back and you know have a field day um especially along the defensive front so it it's really tough when you get behind especially if you're a run first offense and i think we saw some of that last year along with the injuries um so hopefully you know i think i think they've turned over a new leaf and i think the ohio game suggests that you know they have a the chip on their shoulder and they're ready to prove some folks wrong.
1: And Zach, we'll get you out of here on this one. If you could put your coaching hat on and talk to the twenty twenty one football team, what would you tell them?
2: Uh that's tough. I don't know if
1: I, I don't know if I'll wear. I don't know if
2: I'll ever be wearing a coach's hat. But uh, <laughs> you know, as an alumni, I would I would just point out that we have such a proud tradition of good, effective offensive line play, and first and foremost, we're known as being a gritty, aggressive, physical team, uh, you know, even to a fault if uh, five guys are asked to line up and just fly off the football and knock some people back, and whether it's double teams or whether it's one-on-one blocking, um, we relish in that. And, you know, even if you have to make a mistake, if you make it 100 miles an hour and you make it trying to trying to knock somebody on the other side of the ball backwards, then uh I, I would be okay with that as a coach. And it's really about the effort. It's about not being scared to make mistakes and, you know, putting every single thing that you have into each and every play because like a flash, it's gone and you're done playing and you try to keep in touch with the people you played next to. But you know, those four years are, are special and you never know when it'll be taken away. And I think the coronavirus pandemic I think gave a lot of these players Some perspective and some appreciation for what they have and the opportunity to go out and play football every Saturday. So, I mean, I would just tell them to have fun, but first and foremost, put something on film that you can look back on years later and be be proud of. And it starts with the physicality and the aggressiveness that Syracuse football is known for.
1: Zach, thanks so much for coming on the program. Again, our great friend, former Syracuse offensive lineman, Zach Shabane. Zach, congratulations on all your success in your legal career. Really appreciate all your time and insight. Enjoy the college football season, and we'll speak with you soon.
2: Thanks very much,
1: Wes. Thanks for having me, and uh, go Orange. Super impressed with what Zach has done in his post-football career, and thanks again to him for coming on. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online editor-in-chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today?
3: I am doing well, Wes. Thank you.
1: Brad, Syracuse football getting its 2021 season off on the right foot with a 29-9 win over Ohio. It's a MAC team, but after going 1-10 last year, a win is a win is a win, and you have to beat the teams that are on your schedule. Overall, good performances from the offensive line, Sean Tucker rushing for 181 yards, and Deuce Chestnut with an impressive debut. What did you think of the win?
3: Getting a W in football, uh, when you talk to coaches over the years, you know, it, it's not always easy. It's hard. And uh, a W certainly is better than the uh, the alternative. And it, it did feel great. And I'm sure it felt great inside that locker room after and on the flight home. And a good start to what is really a critical season in the Dino Babers era, if we talked about uh, during the off offseason. Uh, I, I like the performance overall, you know, scoring 29 points. Probably left some points on the table there, and the defense did not give up a touchdown, so anytime your your D doesn't give up uh, six points, that, that's certainly something uh, favorable. And the special teams looked really good. I've been really impressed with the special team unit uh, during the entirety of Dino Baber's uh, tenure. I thought they played great last year, and certainly in game one this season, uh, that stood out to me. One thing that did not stand out to me, though, and it's just really... <laughs> Uh, pull, you know, something to pull your hair out about, it, are the penalties. And they continued. And we talked about it last season. I've always said penalties to me are on the head coach. And that really talks about discipline and that talks about the mental aspect of the game. In this case, did not hurt Syracuse in getting a victory, but really need to go again back, looking at the film before the upcoming game against Rutgers uh, this weekend, and... You know, see what the problem is. You know, why are there extra hits? Why is there, uh, you know, blocking below the waist? Uh, You know, why is, you know, personal fouls being called? Uh, Really good to see that there weren't a lot of offsides or illegal motion or those kind of things that stall an offensive drive, but still was just a tad alarmed about the number of penalties, but, again, did not affect Syracuse in getting the opening game victory.
1: Looking forward a bit, Brad, Syracuse will play old Biggie's Spo Rutgers in its home opener. You wrote about in your weekly Orange Watch that Syracuse should play Rutgers on an annual basis. What do you think about this upcoming game?
3: This game against Rutgers, Les, is going to be a challenge. Uh, Rutgers, being a Big Ten team, certainly has a lot better talent on both sides of the ball than a MAC team such as Ohio. And it's going to be another step in the evolution of this team. Ideally, from a schedule standpoint, you'd open up with an Albany, then maybe game two would be Ohio on the road as a test. And then game three Liberty and game four Rutgers kind of stepping up uh, in competition each week. Although certainly an argument can be made for Liberty's talent being almost equals to Rutgers. Uh, But I think that Syracuse, we'll we'll see is the old coaching adage, you know, where's the improvement in game two over game one. And I think it's going to be there. And I think the other significant factor is it's at home in the dome with a crowd. And I don't think that can be underestimated how that really uh, helps players uh, when you have a crowd cheering on and there's those emotional uh, opportunities uh, during the course of a football game. Uh, to get a team psyched up, whether it's on offense or defense. Uh, Rutgers was impressive in forcing turnovers in its opening season win over Temple. And, uh, you know, I've admired the job Greg Schiano has done as a head coach in, in, in really turning that program from nothing into something his first go-round and attempting to do it here in his second go-round uh, with the Scarlet Knights. So I think it's going to be a step up. Uh, I think Syracuse will continue to play better. I'd like to see the offense get a little bit more diverse. The running game was strong against Ohio. I'd I'd like to see the passing game, especially to the tight ends, open up a little bit. And I'd like to see one of those long DeVito throws make a connection with uh, one of the wide receivers to kind of open things up. Uh, for the running game. And on defense, really want to see if the pass rush can can, uh, step up in this game against Rutgers Has a big offensive line. Uh, Really important to get pressure on the quarterback. But as you said, really impressive with Deuce Chestnut leading the defensive secondary in the game one over Ohio. I've liked the linebacker play. Now I'd like to see this veteran defensive line step up and get a lot of pass rush uh, against the Scarlet Knights
1: in the game Saturday. And, Brad, we are right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. I want to kind of circle back, Wes, to the Ohio game and was going back to something I
3: wrote last May about the season opening games differentiating uh, significantly for the ACC teams. I think the argument can be certainly made that Syracuse had the best non-conference win of any ACC team in week one. And when you look at the, uh, the results, it stands out. Uh, the teams that won games, other than Virginia Tech, impressive in winning a lead game in the first go round against North Carolina. That also stands out, but again, that was a conference game. And then those at a conference matchups, boy, <laughs> opening up against Alabama. I, I know it's a a, a made for TV game on a neutral field for Miami, but wow, I mean that is just the toughest assignment in college football. And we all knew Clemson and Georgia was going to be a grudge match, and it was with that 10-3 final. And then I had written about in May as the way to schedule, opening up against an FCS team. That's what Boston College did, 51-0 over Colgate, and that's what Virginia did, 43-0 over William & Mary. So kind of interesting on on the the scope of opening day games, and it kind of bared out as the, the competition was tougher. It was more difficult for ACC teams to get wins.
1: Brad, my closing thoughts are on 2022 big man Peter Carey, who will be taking an official visit to Syracuse on the weekend of September 24th, according to Sports Illustrated's Mike McAllister. Syracuse offered Carey in July, and he went to Syracuse's elite camp in August, so this will be his second visit to the Hill. Carey also holds an offer from Rutgers, and currently he's on the top of Syracuse's 2022 recruiting board. Here's hoping they land him so he can join a class that also includes Justin Taylor and Kadir Copeland. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that I used to play sports. Then I realized you can buy trophies. Now I'm good at everything. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.tv, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.tv audio network.
0: Price picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepix.com slash play100 and use code PLAY100. That's code PLAY100 at prizepix.com play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix, daily fantasy sports made easy.